Salutations, Mets fans. Welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast for your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. With me this week is Greg Karam. Greg, at the New York City Baseball Writers Association of America dinner, Sandy Alderson joked, as he has wanted to do, about opt-outs and Matt Harvey's uh, Soho flight getting canceled. And he's long used humor to uh, disarm and mostly annoy Mets fans. So what is your favorite Sandy Alderson quip over the years? I think uh, the one where they were at, the, I think, the GM meetings, and he said uh, like something like, sorry, I'm late. I was upstairs counting all our money. <clears throat> but uh, don't worry, they were only just stacks of fives or something like that. I enjoyed that. That actually made me laugh out loud. It was, and it was in, he made that in like 2013, after the 2013 season. So it's kind of still funny at that point. I don't, I, I like, think it wasn't funny to a lot of people very quickly. <laughs> I, well, I feel like that happened more and more as the years went on because I also remember him making a joke about finding a shortstop at like, I think it was something Cal Ripken was there at something and he joked about a shortstop and I actually was not amused. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then that, that was more recently. And so I feel like his, his sense of humor was starting to wear me down. Well, I was going to, I normally I'd be like the biggest joke of the eldest administration has been Frank Francisco as closer for two years, but now is probably not the time for that. You can't do that anymore. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's one of his early tweets back when he was a more regular tweeter. He's joking about driving down to spring training one year. It must have been the 2012 spring training. And uh, <laughs> yeah. about getting four new tires, and they threw in a windshield wiper fluid for free, and it was better than the Wheeler deal. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was good. But it's like, uh, I fully appreciate that we all take baseball way too seriously. But I'm glad that our GM is not, you know, like yes. Johnny from Massapequa. Right, right. Like right, crazy right, right. crank Colin guy that gets upset over every little thing. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate his sense of humor, especially now. <laughs> yeah, especially now. This is episode 169 of Mason Avenue Audio, a very nice edition. We'll have a little bit... More Cespedes talk, slightly soberer Cespedes talk, perhaps, slightly less convoluted Cespedes <laughs> talk. There's only two of us. But we'll zoom out and look at what it means for the 2016 Mets. We are getting close to spring training, so maybe it's time. I think the Mets rotation and bullpen and lineup are fairly settled now, so we can start thinking about actual baseball and what that might look like. Also, we wrapped the 2016 Amazing Avenue prospect list this week, but I do, so I broke one of my cardinal rules and I went into the comment section of some of the prospect posts over the last week, Greg. Oh, oh did you? I did, yeah. Don't usually do that anymore. Oh, no. I do want to respond to some of the, uh, and we didn't talk about them last week, really, as, as we usually do with prospect list stuff. We like talk about the dudes that are ranked like 18 in the system. Yeah. I do want to get into sort of the Cicchini versus Rosario debate. They came in at three and two, respectively, on our 2016 list. So we'll address that in more detail, those two players. And we'll answer your emails. But we will start off 
with more Ioannis Cespedes, who apparently, according to sources on Twitter.com, I don't remember who it was. I just saw a tweet go by before. We saw it up that he has passed his physical. Oh, good. So I'm sure they will officially announce the signing either tonight or tomorrow. So, Greg Karam. This is, I'm going to say, a probable... Mets lineup for 2016. Not necessarily the way I would do it, but I think Terry Collins or whatever front office member is responsible for faxing Terry the lineup before mm. every game, according to Mets Twitter. The Matrix. The Matrix, yes. It will look something like Granderson, Wright, Dudas, Espedes, Conforto, Darno, Walker, Cabrera. That's mm. pretty good. <laughs> that is pretty good. That's yeah, pretty good. Um, I said in, in my transaction analysis about this at Baseball Perspectives that they now have essentially an above-average hitter at every position. But I may not have gone far enough because here's the steamer projections, way to runs created plus, which is fan graphs, sort of all-in-one offensive metric scaled to league and park. 109, 110, 118, 112, 111, 113, 112. 95 pretty good that is pretty good i think a couple of those guys might outperform one of those dudes is going to pop a 130 sure but if you're going to say that then you know maybe somebody will under underperform sure or be hurt <laughs> or both <clears throat> yeah um but it's a balanced lineup one through eight there's depth behind it now you know guys like wilmer flores Garis, deaza tahada ploecki all cromulent major league players. There's no black holes there. Maybe they're not all starters. Obviously, they're not all starters. But there really is a lot of upside in that in that lineup. Yes, there is. Goodness. I mean, I mean it wouldn't shock you if if Wright is healthy. He puts up a, a number well better than his projections, probably. You know, Suspedis, Conforto, and Darno are projected for one twelve, one eleven, and one thirteen. Oh, yeah. Somebody's smoking that. Yes. You know, you see people complaining on, <laughs> for what there's left to complain about on Twitter.com at this point, that they're overpaying Daza. They're, they're not really. Like, what? he's not going to hit a lot of those incentives now unless someone gets hurt. So it's really a one-year $6 million for a fourth outfielder. That's about the going rate if you're a real major league team with a yeah with Danes on our, the Danes to compete and... Has a little bit of money. That's like the going rate. It's like, you know, David Murphy or Jeff Baker or... Right, and like, now that he's not a guy who has to play center all the time... Right, like value, the, you know, if, if Branderson gets hurt, he can he's going to not be a black hole. Right. You know, Eric Campbell or Daryl Siciliani are not now starting. That's the best thing about this. I mean, that was the strength before the Cespedes deal. Now they got the Cespedes deal. It's just like the icing on the cake. So we are now in a position where in the fourth year of this podcast, the Mets are probably the favorite in the NL East. What happens now? Here we are. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, just used to complain all the time. Uh, well, it's it. not even that. I'm thinking about it from like sort of a 
mental health state. Like, I guess 2009 is really the last year they were sort of the favorites in the division. You know, they had the, I think Sports Illustrated picked them to win the World Series that year. But even that was a little bit different because they're coming off 2000 and 2000, 2007 and 2008, which were horrible. Now, 2015 didn't end the way we wanted, but they went to the World Series. So there's not like 2009. They had, there was like sort of a something to prove to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we were so doing this podcast in 2009, it would have been like an utter wreck by about June 15th, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yes, they went to the World Series last year. I think the I think this the bar is higher. I yeah. mean, you know, if this team they, if they end up winning. Say hypothetically, they say the Nats don't suck and they end up winning 93, 94 games and miss the playoffs. And that would it's it would be obviously more devastating. Right, if they win eighty eight games, that might not be good enough. It wouldn't have been yeah. good enough last year. Yeah. See, I, it, we've gotten to the point now as fans where we are vulnerable, and that hasn't been the case over the past few years. I think I think that we were already broken. But now we've been built back up together. You know, it's kind of like we got back into the relationship. I mean, Mets fans are yelling at Ted Berg on Twitter because he insulted them by putting the Mets rotation as the second best rotation in baseball. (laughs) That that becomes a thing when your team is good. It's like, well, what did I I think I said it last year to give Mets fans just like a little bit of success? Yeah. It's like instant, like sloppy drunk on power. And (laughs) (laughs) we immediately wear out our welcome. But yeah, we're we're vulnerable. But so what yeah, is your it, what is your biggest concern going into the 2016 season for this team as currently comprised? I feel I feel good about the bullpen now. Much better about the bullpen now that they've got Bastardo there and they've got Mejia coming back later later in the year. Um, so that's not as much of a concern. Um, the I, I guess I would kind of lean towards starting pitching health um, as we, we, I guess we were talking on the internal slack like it, there's really not much of a fallback option from if any of these guys go down then you're looking at Logan Verrett basically um, so there's not that much depth there what does make me feel good about that is that you do have Wheeler coming back hopefully can't really bank on that because he's coming back from Tommy John's but that, there is that kind of fallback later later on. But um, I, I'm, I guess I'm struggling to find like a weakness that like really worries me. I mean, I agree that with you. much. Uh, it's going to be starting pitching depth. I mean, the defense is going to be bad, but the defense was bad last year. Mm. <laughs> the high strikeout starting rotation mitigates that to a certain extent. <clears throat> yeah, I guess. But like, I, you know, it's just, um, that doesn't concern me. In that, because I know that I know that what the trade-off for that is is very good offense. It's better than it was last year. Is the thing? Right. Like last year, they were trading off bad defense for like Wilmer Flores, yeah, and Montagaris. Well, he wasn't supposed to be bad defensively. Um, uh, well, yeah, like John Mayberry Jr. Now you're trading off, you know, bad defense for Cabrera. Well, look, may not be better than Flores this year, but I think is a little more proven. And Joanna Cespedes in center field, who's Joanna Cespedes. 
Yeah. And Neil yeah. Walker's, I think, Ooh. a little bit better defender than Murph. And there's maybe a little more upside in the backs of the power and the approach. But, again, you sort of alluded to it already with you know Logan Barrett or Sean Gilmartin or whatever, Rafael Montero, and however, however many shoulder tendons he still has attached as their sixth starter. Um, and, I mean, look, if you lose a number one or multiple pitchers, you can't really expect any team to weather that. You know, if the Dodgers lose Clayton Kershaw, they've got a big problem. If the White Sox lose Chris Sale, they have a big problem. If the Cubs lose Jake Arrieta, they have a big problem. If the Mets lose Matt Harvey, they have a big problem. But because of the sort of the randomness of pitcher attrition, like I can't tell you, like it's unlikely the Mets get whatever ridiculous amount of starts they got from their top five or six starters last year. Something like 130, I think. Right. They're not going to get 150 starts from the five guys that are opening the rotation. You know, it's just unlikely. Open day but rotation. pitcher attrition is kind of random. So the yeah. drop-off from, you know, Joe Ross to whatever the Nats might be running out next year as their sixth starter or if the Cubs randomly lose Jason Hamill, I guess I might still be in their rotation, or the... Who else can be remotely competitive? Um, the, the Giants and Madison... Or if the Pirates there. randomly... they still have Liriano? I think they do. Um, Garrett you know, if, Cole? If, if the Mets lose a dude for a season, it's a very good chance it's like a four-win pitcher. Because they have so many of them. Yeah. Which seems like a sort of a weird thing to say, but... Yeah, I, I mean, it, and... They're nobody... so they're so built around young, elite starting pitching and the health of young, elite starting pitching. Yeah. And that you if also they lose have to a dude at, for a year... Right, you're screwed. But uh, not te- terribly screwed, but you're screwed. Well, it gets back to sort of like losing a one. They have, I mean, these guys aren't all aces, but they're all potential front of the rotation starters. That's the problem. Yeah, and and if you look at it, there's no team really in the league that has five starters the whole year. And there's, there's always something that happens. You know, there's a side injury, there's a ladder, something happens. So it's very rare. So when you are talking about the best rotations, you, you do have to go a little bit deeper than the fifth starter i think like one through eight is really what you want to look at and look most teams six and seven starters aren't going to be good but i think there's like serious downside with the mets six through eight starters right now now that said the lineup's in a better place to carry them for five or six logan barrett starts than they were last year and one caveat to that is that i think that if if montero's healthy I think that that brings up yeah, the floor. Sure, he wasn't. Yeah, sure. I think he was, he was coming into his own before yeah, he got hurt. It's happened a couple times with him, and it's never really. I'm not saying he can't still be like a like a four or five. He certainly could, but that's all I'm saying. Right. They're still probably the favorites. I think I on Slack. I think I said the like, total back of the envelope had them for like a 92 win team, and then asked at an 89 win team. But that's, you know, that's, that can easily get swamped by whatever. You know, the Nats were certainly much bigger favorites than that over the Mets last year, and 
162 games, a, a three-game advantage on paper in my head based on nothing, um, can easily get wiped out. Yeah, and the Nats are not as evenly distributed as the Mets. I mean, they have they have Harper, but then they got like Espinosa as their starting shortstop, and they have Scherzer, but you, you know, the drop off is to um, uh, what's his Tanner Rourke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. So I, I think that the especially you know, the, the, had health issues too, right? And, and that's the other thing is that the, the injuries that the Nats sustained last year. It's not like they were, t- t- you know, out of the blue. I mean, these are guys that yes. had history injury, sure. injury like Rendon, Zimmerman, Worth. You know, these are guys who always end up on the DL in some way. And I think last year, in some ways, was a testament to how deep their roster was. They were even sort of still in it in September. I don't know if they have that this year. I don't know. Yeah, I mean uh, that. Imp- I think they've improved their bullpen. That's like the one thing they've done this offseason. Yeah, they haven't done a whole... I mean, it's it's so tough to tell just like year to year. I mean, would it shock me if they came back? I mean, they've done this before. They had that bad 2013 and then roared back in 2014. It would have surprised right. me if they roll out a 95-win season this year. No, the talent's there to do it. I mean, at least you can hang your hat on the idea that the Mets also have 95-win upside. On that roster now. That's all you can really ask for. However it plays out. They did what they needed to do to put themselves in a position to repeat. Yep. There'll be plenty more to come on the 2016 Mets in 2016 as we get into actual baseball. Now we'll talk a little bit more prospect list. And look at Ahmed Rosario and Gamachini, a couple potential future Met shortstops. And I want to get one thing out of the way first year, Greg. Okay. I just, I, people that whine about ordinal rankings piss me off. Read the reports. <laughs> like, they don't mean like the fourth best prospect and the seventh best prospect in a system might be nothing. That's fair. And really, anyone plus, well, we'll get into it because I like Rosario. But really, like three through nine or so in this system. There's really like what half a grade difference between these dudes. It depends on who you're talking about. I, mean, I think Rosario has a little bit more upside than some of the right. Other that's guys. what that, I said. Like sort of past Rosario, like the three oh, three yeah. nine. Oh, absolutely. It just doesn't read the reports. One of these years, we're just going to do it in like tiers, like fan graphs, which is the only thing I will ever copy from fan graphs prospect coverage, but. <laughs> Just on grades and like uh, projected yeah, the, this dude like potential league league average guys. Should we give and them just four list grades? them in alphabetical order? <laughs> like I said, the only thing I copy <laughs> from Fangraphs, and it's like I don't want to be in this system right now, especially past you know Mats and Rosario. It's almost like well. I can't really say how you want to rank the next tier of guys is unjustifiable. But for me, Chikini at three is kind of unjustifiable. I mean, he would have been number two on our aggregate list, except for me, putting him at seven. And here's why. He's a bad shortstop. He's not a major league shortstop. He's barely a double-A shortstop. It's 
bad. It's not good. I don't care what his minor league fielding runs above average is. Hello, I work for Baseball Prospectus. I want to pull like a Woody Allen and Annie Hall here. You know nothing of my work. <laughs> well, look, I think you, you have a high bar for your own standards of shortstop defense. I do. Okay. I, I, that's the one thing I'll, I'll put out there. Um, and I went into this process researching the list and everything. I put together my own personal list before I had done all that research. Just put that out there. You're already and, backpedaling. This is good. <laughs> so I, if you if you saw the what went up today, I had Chikini above Rosario. Now, after doing all the research, I still have Chikini above Rosario, but it's much, much closer than uh, I had previously thought. And the reason is what you just said. I mean, it's very fringy for me whether or not Chikini can stick it short. The thing is, I mean, I think there's still a chance. I think it's still possible. And the other thing is that he can hit. And I like the bat. So, I like the contact. And I, 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 the, the thing is, is that Rosario hasn't done it. I can see how people think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. I can see that. But I think he's got some issues with that swing right now. And, and Sure, it, but so does Chikini. Look, I know he hit at double A. And that's not nothing. But his swing now against better pitching, higher level pitching, I don't see much more than gap power there. And yeah, I know whatever he had eight home runs and ping up tonight, I don't give a shit. Um, no, I agree with that. Like the toe tap and fire sort of versus the high leg kick, which I didn't love, but I think allowed him to drive the ball a little bit better. He's very, yeah. very sort of like handsy and upper body in that swing now. Yeah, he's kind of just throwing the bat out there. And right, he's, he's cutting off what, you know, fringy power he does have you know it, it might play as like four in batting practice it doesn't play like that in games because of his swing and he's not a physical dude anyway he's not very sort of traditionally fast twitch and then you get to higher levels you see this better defense better positioning spray charts they're going to cut down the field on him if you can't hit a ball over a dude's head it's not even so much that the power won't be there in the majors your batting average goes down well, look, he's going he's to be a guy who makes some contact, um, so he you know, he can suffer a little bit on the on the, the balls in play. But uh, I, I still think it plays because you I know, mean I, ball- I think he's a major leaguer. Absolutely, he's going to play in the majors probably for a good number of years. But it's like a role four or, or forty five type for me because he just can't you know that that bat at second is not. I mean, he's not a better hitter than Herrera. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. I mean, he doesn't have. He definitely doesn't have the pop that Herrera has. Um, and I definitely probably would have Herrera ranked ahead of him if he was eligible. Sure. And I, you know, I get that he's he's young, relatively speaking. You know, how much? There's not like there's a ton of projection there. He kind of is what he is. That's sort of always been his his mo. And I know people said in the comments, which I read for some reason, that he was more of a glove-first guy when he was drafted. He wasn't really. When he was drafted, he was they like, said that like, there was a, bunch a of high five. probability that he was going to make it to the majors right. as a shortstop. He had a bunch of fives. Bunch of bunch of future 50s. 50-55s on his scouting report when he was drafted. You know, the Some only... of those are still there. Some of those aren't. 
that's what happens when you sort of go through a professional career. That's fine. I think that you're underselling his, like also just his ability, his approach at the plate. You know, and yeah, sure, but guy, you can't hit you can't hit balls over guys' heads. You're not going to walk because I mean, you get you uh, get in higher levels. They all throw ninety ninety five, and they just compound the zone and say, "Okay, pull a fastball, drive one into the gap off me." Because probably the worst you're going to do is get a single. I'm not going to walk you. I mean, he does have a good knowledge of the strike zone. Uh, you know, he doesn't expand. It's it's more you can say more than you can say about Rosario. Sure. Um, I think the difference for me is he's he's going to be a good shortstop. Yeah, I don't. You know, I'm going out for poor. Some people I've talked to this year, because again, I didn't see him in St. Lucie, but I'm not super shocked. I mean, sort of the gains he made year over year from Kingsport to Brooklyn were impressive, and the reports I got on him coming out of spring were impressive. You know, I'll see him plenty this year, certainly. And I think, yeah. He's not. He hasn't done it yet with the bat like Chikini has. But there's some instinctual bat to ball there. He's got a little more strength in his wrists. And if he turns into Alcides Escobar, that's still you know a roll forty-five type. Right. And there's more upside there. It's there is ca- more upside there. You know, the hand the bat, path- the bat comes around and and. He's got some bat speed. If he if he develops a little bit of strength and yeah. hit as a league average shortstop, that that would be. That's a massive player. That's a roll six good. dude. I'm not saying he gets there. I think there's an OFP there that there's not for Chikini. I know functionally they kind of finish at the same level for whatever that's worth. Um, not a ton. I mean, they're gonna Chikini is definitely gonna start in Vegas. I think Rosario will be quote unquote back in Binghamton. But it comes sort of down to like talent replicability when I'm looking at these lists. If I can get a guy, like, what's the difference between Chikini and Matt Reynolds? Well, Chikini's a better hitter for, for Reynolds one. hit more in Double A than Chikini did. Yeah, he was. He also had he was running like a four fifty Babbitt, and sure. he was striking out a bunch. And, yeah, I mean, he's got Chikini's got a much better strikeout. I think. Walk ratio, look, I think Chikini is a better prospect than Matt Reynolds. <laughs> I'm saying the dis- the distance between them isn't huge. Uh, I I don't know if I believe in Reynolds bat as much as uh That's fine. I think that's I think that's the main difference. Um Well, yeah, I, I mean But again, it's, it's, it comes I, down I, I to like Reynolds the idea that okay. I mean the main difference when it comes down to dudes doing prospect lists on the internet. Other dudes. You'll look at Chikini being what three years younger than him? Oh sure, probably something like that. Two to three years younger than him. I don't know exactly when his birth date is. I think he's a fall dude, and Reynolds is an early dude. I probably should have looked this up. This was one of my well, main arguments. Reynolds but was drafted out of college uh, the same year, three years ago. Yeah, yeah they were so. they were both 2012, weren't they? So yeah, they're probably two to three years apart, depending on yeah. when their their birthdays are. Like okay, but that was you know now Chikini's 21 or whatever. There's not. A ton of projection there. He is what he is, and again, he'll he's going to play in the majors. But when I'm looking at, it, it's not going to be in a role that I can't, that I probably don't have elsewhere in my system, or that I can't replicate on the market fairly cheaply. 
Well, the optimistic point of view on Chikini is that he's able to iron out some of his some of his issues he's, are uh, yeah, some of his issues are mechanical, uh, you know. Yeah, but it's you know work, this kind of thing. Sure, there's and, a there's uh, a lot of stuff. different. It's like so the thing with shortstops, and I know you give me shit on the podcast all the time for having a high bar for shortstop defense, which is fine. But there are a lot of different discrete things you have to be able to do well. Now you can. If you're really good in one area, if you've got, you know, uh, shit, who was that shortstop? The Mets were always sort of interested in that, like an eight arm. Played for the Braves and the Indians. Just like 2010. The Cardinals, I think, briefly, too. But anyway, if you have a you have seven or eight arm strength at the position. Yeah. Yeah, if, you're, if your actions are a little slow or you're not that rangy, you can make up for it. If, right. you're, you know, if you're Louis Guillaume and your arm's a little short for the position, right. but, and you're not even that rangy, but your actions and hands are that good and you can make plays from different angles and your trigger's quick, you know, everything plays up. Chikin doesn't have one thing that he can use to cover if stuff, if the rest of the stuff doesn't get there, you know, Rosario is like that too. Rosario actually is now more of a generalist. But he always sort of he's not that rangy. He's got a good arm. His actions have improved, so it's a little bit easier to project him as a as a good major league shortstop now. Like, I just don't see where. That's fair. I mean, what would you grade? Not even not even the carrying tool with the with the defensive profile. You know, where's the tool that's going to make him a 40-45 shortstop? Because if he gets to that, you can play him there. I mean, I'll play a 40-45 shortstop if I think he's going to hit 270 and take some walks. Well, he does range well to his left. <laughs> How is he to his right? <laughs> I haven't seen that many plays to his right. It's not good. <laughs> oh. um, and it's just everything. It's like... It's stuff that you can easily explain away when he, a, a kid's 19 and the game's a little fast for him. You know, stuff you saw with Rosario last year in Brooklyn, or two years ago now, I guess, in, in 2014. That's fine. You know, the kind of stuff I you know saw with Milton Ramos in Kingsport this year. The physical tools are all there. It's just game speed. And guy's in double A now. If he can't handle the game speed at shortstop, that's a problem. <clears throat> He's still young for the level. Sure. But again, he's not, you know, where the the tools improvement's coming from. I think he can refine a little bit, certainly. His bat probably is pretty much what it is. And again, I had him seven. That's not a huge <laughs> difference. I personally could make him a case for him as high as probably five. Um, I just, I don't see it. That's That's fair. That's fair. People get a little, you know, they get a defensive over their guys. You know? Sure. Now I'm going to say yelling at internet commenters seems silly, but it just felt like through a lot of this process, people just wanted us to sort of regurgitate their beliefs, you know, back out. If you want to use Cato or Minor League War or whatever, generate a list, you don't need us. You can do that on your own. 
Right. If you just want to look at stats and you just want to, you know, have that fit out your list for you, then yeah, we don't. You don't need us to watch the games and put a little spin on it. You know, try to project based on what we see and what might actually happen. Now we'll answer emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. It's the Mason Avenue Audio episode 100 nice. Mason Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Amazing Avenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can find the podcast on the Stitcher app, which was for some reason like pinging me on my phone today trying to recommend the, the most recent Grantland pop culture podcast. <laughs> like six months old? Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. Like based on what you listen to, you might listen to be interested in the Grantland pop culture podcast. A, I'm not. B, <laughs> that hasn't been a thing for a while. You can also uh, download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Amazing Avenue. Or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Greg Karam. You can follow him on Twitter, at Greg Karam. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Apparently, we have, we have a voicemail number, too, now, uh-huh. Greg. I didn't check it, did you? No, I, I don't have the, I can't check it. Only Eric Simon can screen our calls, so be nice, oh, okay. Eric Simon. I don't remember what the been, actual voicemail number is. So I can, like, give it out. It's like 800-501-METS or so something. You're just like making that. up numbers now. Hang on. I'll it's it. really close. It yeah. is. You're, you're probably in the, in the ballpark. My internet is really slow in the apartment. I don't know why. Where did Eric send it to me? Did he... No, he didn't message me. Maybe it's in the actual podcast thing. Let's see. Oh my god, I hate you. Yeah, there's my little toolbar. Yes, it is. Oh, I scrolled by. 805-500 Mets. That's 805-500-6387. That was really close. Yeah, you were close. Thank you. I'll never listen to anything unless... Eric passes it on to me, so do your worst. But if there's anything interesting, we'll play it out on the show. Maybe at some point. I haven't figured out the logistics of that yet either. But until then, we'll just answer your emails. And our first email is from one of our many Davids. Esteemed hosts, love the prospect episode. Some questions for everyone. Jeff, thoughts about losing Darren Gorski, who signed with the Nets? Nats? Greg, you're a big John Mora fan. Not that everyone isn't allowed to like whoever they like. Seems oddly passive-aggressive. But why does Mora get so much love, given what he projects to be? Lucas, on a scale of 1 to 100, how much faith do you have that Molina will return, resuming a dominant pitcher? Steve, what was with the Star Wars hate? Thanks for all you do, guys. Dave. So, Lucas and Steve are not on this podcast. I'm not doing another multi-man podcast. I needed a break from that. But I did solicit their responses, which I will add in after. Greg and I give ours. 
And, you know, I'm fine with the Gorski thing. Sometimes it doesn't work out. The Velocity never came back after his mysterious arm ailment that one spring. I think it would have been like 2013. Uh, there's probably not room for him in the Vegas rotation. It would be something like Montero, really Martin, Verrett, Lugo, and Yanoa. Mm. You're not really putting him any of over those five guys. And <laughs> as it is, he's thrown 196 innings in Vegas and posted a 5.35 ERA. And, you know, he's behind five guys for a lefty pen spot at this point. Not that his stuff really has ever sort of suited being a loogie. He has to change, change up his way ahead of the breaking ball. He's 28. You know, he went for a, a minor league free agent move that might give him a better chance at major league playing time. And the Nats are uh, perhaps a better fit. They are just a Josh Satin away from collecting the full set, though. I'm a little annoyed about that. <laughs> I kind of wish he'd gone to another team since they already have Petit. Has uh, uh, Satin signed anywhere? He hasn't, so he needs to go to like the Hiroshima Flying Carp or yeah, something, yeah. Josh. He's, he's got to go to Korea or something. Go meet up with Nick Evans and the Doosan Bears or whatever it is. Yeah. So what uh, do you like about John Mora? Well, I like him because... And it's, it's, it's mostly sentimental because when you're up late at night, you're writing these reports. I mean, it's the same reason I love Josh Satin, so I can't really get upset about it. Right. And there's, you know. Moore is not the guy I would have picked if I was no, but, doing but more like, coverage that the, year, but. He was the best player on the GCL team for, uh, <laughs> for a, a span of months. And it was just like, every time you're going through it, you're like, oh, like these guys are terrible. And then you're like, oh, this guy, not that bad. And then he he goes out this year and actually puts up some you know solid strikeout walk numbers and like like uh, this guy might so not be bad, so bad. Greg, you have no idea how bad <laughs> it was. <laughs> it's uh, a sentimental pick. That's fine. I asked Lucas on our internal Slack and he sent me a link to Tommy John surgery recovery rates. I'm like I'm not reading this article. Just give me 50 words. So he did. By the linked study he sent me, the effective return rate is closer to. 50 than 80 percent he thinks molina's mechanics suck which they do so he said 40 to 50 so 40 to 50 percent chance that he comes back sort of fully molina ish i think that's fair sure it does seem like guys that get it i shouldn't say that it does seem like the recovery can be a little more fraught when guys get it younger professionals for whatever reason no idea i mean i I feel like minor leaguers don't come back from it as well as major leaguers but that could be like a sampling bias because major leaguers are already major leaguers that's part of it too but they also might not be getting as good of you know attention medical attention as some of the guys you know how, how intense was logan taylor's rehab under the auspices of the mets compared to matt harvey's yeah, they probably gave him a PDF and said, here, this is what you should do. <laughs> Hope you get back. Sure. Steve says, I don't hate Star Wars. I love it more than pretty much everyone else out there. And to clarify, I do believe he said specifically he didn't like The Force Awakens. He says, next time on the pod, if I remember, care, I can go into it because it's more complex than 50 words. 
So he's probably a guy who got into the outer universe afterwards. Yes, or yeah, he like seems that. like an what is expanded universe guy. Yeah, <clears throat> right. So he probably had high mm. expectations for it. Yes. Our next email is from another Dave. I feel like we need a Dave jingle. Is there a Dave jingle? <laughs> These are the days I know and know. These are the days I know. These are the days I know and know. These are the days I know. We are the days he knows and knows. We are the days he knows. We are the days he knows and knows. We are the days he knows. Some of us are days, but most of us are days. We all have our own hands, but we come from different moms. These are the days I know and know. We are the days he knows and knows. These are the days. It's from Manifesto Dave who you may remember as Manifesto Dave. Met millennials, we're off to a good start. <laughs> we do not have an adequate reason to take our recently signed center fielder in his 9.7 combined war over the past three years, replace him with Ioannis Cespedes in his 11.9 war over the past three years. Considering one year of Cespedes will cost us an additional 15 to 20 million, and a little more than that. I guess you want to throw in Daza too, sure. The math is insane, we're paying 15 million for one win. That's actually when you're in a close divisional race, not and onerous cost, but we'll move on. We wanted to upgrade the middle of our 2016 lineup, do so at, in order of preference, one third base or two first base. Uh-huh. David Wright is a far more concerning look in the three hole than Ligaris is batting eighth. Sandy is giving a David David another shot to get back to at least three war status. He deserves that. If that happens, maybe we can live with Duda and Wright at the corners. Uh, he's giving David another shot at third base because he's still doing $100 million. <laughs> well, I mean, probably not that much anymore, but close to it. Most likely that doesn't happen. We start looking to move David more to the bench and find an all-star third or first baseman on the trade market in June. Uh, good luck with that. I fail to understand why this is so hard to grasp and swallow. It's just You're just talking about trading for an all-star level first baseman or third baseman after we talked about a bunch of 45 dudes at the top of the system. <laughs> Thanks in regards. Manifesto Dave. I don't even, so, know. I don't even tra- know where to go. Trends matter. It's true that over the last three seasons, there hasn't been a huge difference in baseball references war between, I think that's what he was using, based on the Ligaris number, uh, between Cespedes and Ligaris. Last year, there was quite a significant difference. They're going in opposite directions. That does sort of matter for future projection. And you know, a lot of Ligaris's value is in his glove. Almost all of it is, and we don't measure that as well. Even in his good offensive season in 2014, he hit 264, 303, 355 against righties. Most pitchers are right-handed. For his career, that's 254, 286, 340. Now, that's tough to roll out there 120 games a year unless the glove is really, really good. So you got to bet on it getting back to that level. And the team's built to win right now, so the sort of the surety of... Cespedes in 2016 specifically, I think, is the difference here. Yeah, and choosing between defense and the bat, give me the bat. You know, it's more of a, it's a more sure thing, like you said. It's more something we can measure more concretely. It's also something that's. Uh, and we're talking about. I looked it up. I just it grabbed Marcel. I know I've been using Steamer, but a hundred and thirty point OPS spread between the two of them projected this year. That's tough to make up defensively. You can do it. If Ligaris is plus 20 and Suspedes is minus 10, that's 
over 500 plate appearances, probably in the ballpark of, of wiping it out. But that just gets you back to even, and you got to bet on those two things happening. Right. I mean, the other reason this happened is the easiest place to upgrade, other than maybe shortstop, which I don't think they really upgraded at. They added to their depth, and that's fine, I guess. It saves me from having two jingles on this show, at least. Uh, you're right, they're locked into right. And I think we've said before, it's not like you can just move them across the diamond to first. So you would have to move them to the bench. It's not an obvious first base skill set. And look, I'm not morally opposed to upgrading Duda. Where is that dude coming from? (laughs) Look at what Chris Davis got as a free agent. They've been the same play over the last two seasons. I know Davis was terrible in 2014. But, you know, who are you getting? Vado at the trade deadline? What's that going to cost in prospects, assuming the Mets can even take on that money? Which they might be able to now, I guess. I don't know. It's a weird world we live in. It's amazing to me that this whole Duda thing is just... He's been 18th by weighted runs created plus for 2014 and 2015 in the sport of baseball. In the whole sport. In the sport of of people that hit balls with bats. He's been the 18th best offensive player. Now again, we're cherry-picking a little bit because it's just two good seasons. It's two most recent seasons. Yeah, it's a lot. It's 280 games of baseball. It's basically the same thing Chris Bryant gave you in in 2015. And look, is Chris Bryant going to get better? There's a very good chance. Lucas Duda pretty much is what he is. But you would take 2015 Chris Bryant on your team in a second at whatever position he can play at. Yeah. Look, the only thing, if you want to complain about Lucas Duda, you want to say that he doesn't hit lefties well, I'll accept that. And you know, maybe if you want to... Twitter is freaking him. out about the lack of a backup first baseman. I like, enough Because they literally have to freak out about something. <laughs> Who gets really... Nate Freeman still available somewhere? Go get him. I don't know. Dude is bring a very him, good Bring up Major Scucci. He's still in the organization. <laughs> he is. Backup first baseman. It'll be Flores. It'll be fine. Whatever. Flores against lefties is actually playable at first, so... Slug 600. Yeah. <laughs> This is, I'm saying, look, yeah, you can't play floors at every position when there's a lefty on the mound. I get that, but... I mean, they could strictly use Flores as a first-place platoon in 2016, and it would be fine. He's tall. I know he's in a ton of experience there. It's first base. Lucas Duda will be fine. I'm not, like, on the list of things I'm concerned about on the 2016 match, Lucas Duda is simply not one of them. Right. Our next email is from Sean. My email is really slow. Hey, Jeff and Co. Though this email will probably be outdated by the time of the podcast, all the swirling cesspitus and DH talk has got me thinking. If insiders are assured the DH is coming to the NL in 2017, it is outdated already by the time the uh, (laughs) podcast is. That's apparently not happening. Wouldn't this make it a no-brainer to sign the smoking Cuban man? I mean, there are other reasons, too. Try why they did it. If the issue is wondering about whether Yo can play center long term, a DH in 2017 would make a one year prop make it a one year proposition at most. For 2016, Yo Yo start the majority of games in center, giving Grandy a day off a week due to age and coming off surgery and Conforto a day off against tough lefties, working Lagaris in and using De Aza as a bench piece. That's what they're gonna do. In 2017 you can use Grandy as DH in a few years down the line Cespedes, so with the strikeout staff for the next three years. 
You get Sess only playing an occasional center field over the course of the contract. Makes sense, right? Thanks for the pod, and I love Greg taking on the contrarian role. Makes for good internet radio. You're the new Rob Castellano, apparently. <laughs> well, I'm not going to start apologizing for the Wilpons anytime soon, so maybe not. <laughs> Sean, from I was tempted to send him an email to see if I could get him on to get the full, like, Wilpon apology of this week. He does usually still respond to my emails days later, so. Um, I mean, yeah, sure. It, it, it It's not a lock. That still doesn't happen. I think you'll see sort of teams rotate dudes through the DH spot, maybe especially the Mets. But it does allow them to... not you know, minimize the amount of time Cespedes spends in center field. Look... He's not a bad center fielder. He's not a good center fielder. He's probably not an average center fielder. He's not a bad I don't think it's going to be that bad. I don't think it's going to be that bad. He kicked out. Was... He, you know, he misplayed that one ball in the World Series. Pretty much. I think mean, about it. Can you find, think of another play off the top of your head that he seriously misplayed in center? Yes, that game against the Nationals where he dove and then it was got by him and it was like a uh, I think an inside the or triple. Oh yeah, there was the inside the park home run. But then right. he made up for it with the bat. And there was the one like yeah, it's so yeah, it's, there's going to be a little high variance there. Yeah, he's a high wire guy in center. But look, he had excellent metrics in in left. He's a good left fielder. Okay, he's an athletic person. Right, he's got a good speed. Uh, I think that he's going to be not that bad in center. I think that we're looking at one sample, and I just think that it's going to be playable. He's probably, let's say he's a minus 10 center fielder. Fine. I mean, the data, the limited sample size data we have suggests he's a little worse, but I think you have to regress that. But let's say he's a minus 10 center fielder. The Mets played a Murphy second base for years as a minus 10 second baseman. The positional adjustment between second base and center field is not significant. Cespedes is a much better hitter. Right. And he might have the best arm of any center fielder in the league now. He might very well. I mean, it's good. there's going to be plays that are going to make you want to pull your hair out, much like they did with Murph. The difference is there's also going to be, like, second deck, just, like, full-on dick-on-the-table bat flip home runs at least 20 <laughs> times a year. <laughs> yes. So, I want to hit one into the triple deck. I'm okay. With, it's going to happen. I'm okay with that trade-off. He's going to hit one over the apple in dead center. He's going to put one through the window of the Clevelander in Miami. It's fine. Whether it's a one-year deal or a three-year deal, I don't care. This team's better. And would it be helpful if he opted in and they had a DH to cycle through? Yeah, sure. I don't think either of those things is going to happen in 2017. (laughs) Yeah, right. Not my main concern. Final email is from Michael. Hello, hosts. With a Cespedes signing, would you put the Mets as the best team in the NL, possibly all of baseball? No. Frankly, the Steamers projections that still have the Nats winning the division almost made me pee my pants. I'll see a doctor about that. I'm curious as how you reacted to this nonsense. I disagree that the Cubs had a better offseason, a 37-year-old John Lackey, a 35-year-old Zobris, and a slight upgrade in Hayward over Dexter Fowler. <laughs> slight, okay. Isn't that exactly making me shake in my boots? Plus, for all the talk about Mets pitchers fatigue layover. Jake Arrieta at 70-plus innings past his previous season high last year. In terms of Cespedes' questionable defense, do you think that's overblown? Yes, see last email. It seems those egregious errors in the World Series had nothing to do with getting to the balls, but more to some awkward glove work. His glove was always belt higher or lower, making me wonder if his shoulder was as bad as he originally let on. Lastly, Jeff is a fellow Bowie fan. I feel your pain. I was devastated when my wife woke me up to tell me that. Seems kind of mean. 
to cheer myself up, I quickly downloaded a few of his live albums, including the Reality Tour, which I've sentimental towards because I saw two shows during that tour, which turned out to be his last. R.I.P. David Bowie and Let's Go Mets fan, as always, Mike. This is good timing, so I was just listening to today's Effectively Wild podcast at work right before I left, and they sort of covered who won the offseason stuff, looking at Bavada odds, you know, which is fine, whatever. Uh, I didn't listen today. World Series odds are nominally about who they think is going to win, but basically about spreading betting across as many teams as possible. Yeah. So I don't know how much you want to read into that. They had the Cubs and Giants as the two favorites. And then yeah, the Giants are pretty high. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. Yeah, it's like even year bullshit. So maybe there's like they're a public team in even years. Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, see I think they got a decent chance to win the division and make the playoffs. I think it's a good team. It's a competitive division. Yeah, now. it's a competitive division. I just didn't think. Like I would have figured Cubs one, Mets two, Dodgers three. But I don't. I'm not in the business of making gambling lines. Right. I mean, the more the, the bigger issue to me is yes, the Mets. Even if you don't believe the Mets had a better offseason with the Cubs, which I don't know if I entirely agree with, the Cubs had more places they could upgrade, especially in their rotation. That's still a, what a seven eight win gap eight win gap you got to make up off last Wait. season. Oh right, yeah. For them to be I get, again, it's. You're getting into like best team in the NL versus team you least want to see in a short series kind of thing. That changes the calculus a little bit, maybe. But when I see best team in the NL, I think over 162 games. I think over 162 games, the Cubs are probably still a few games better than the Mets. Yeah, it's possible. Again, um, it's the kind of thing where 162 games swamps everything. Sort of yeah, I think I think that uh, the Mets are one of the best teams. I think it's like really hard to slice it when you get that high in terms of wins. I mean, you can't actually project somebody to win 95 games. It's just, you just can't do it. So you're talking about like low 90s projection probably or high high 80s. They do have a very, they, again, they, go that high. they probably have a very easy schedule compared to the Cubs because they play right. the Pirates and the Cardinals far fewer times. But again, that's not, we're talking about true talent level here, not sort of the vagaries of the division and the unbalanced yeah. schedule. There's also some other issues, I think, that in terms of, like, the catcher position. I don't think that we measure that well, and, and it's possible that the Mets have a substantial edge in that, in that regard. So there's some there's some places where I could see the Mets You don't better. think, like, Kyle Schwarber catching 100 games is a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it's going to go, but, you know, catcher framing isn't baked into a lot of these projection systems, and I, I'm, I'm a believer, so... Yeah, you got to be able. You should be a believer because you're brand. You know? The Mets you're are good. At, the Mets are good, and that's okay. What yeah, that's right. To. Right. Look. I mean, it could all go pear shaped for them too. You know, we, again, we lived through 2009 when they're on the cover of Sports Illustrated as the World Series winner, predicted. But I, I wouldn't get too bogged down in preseason projections. You can go a little more qualitative than quantitative for now and i I feel good about the team but this is this is where you what you do when your team is good you argue about them oh they're not the best rotation yeah yeah, they're not the best team and leave ted berg alone jesus christ this is what happens i made a joke on on twitter.com about you know 
Ted Berg finally showing his true colors of the Mets hater, and at least two or three people in my ads were taking it seriously. <laughs> you he retweeted something today about being like a Matthew Cerrone wannabe and don't forget who pays your bills. After he was com- complaining, everyone complained that he was a shill because he worked for SNY TV for years. Now it's like, well, you got to <laughs> still be a shill, dude. <laughs> uh, Twitter.com. Wonderful, wonderful place. It's good, and it's good. It's good. It's good content. Good content. Those are your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazonavenueaudio.com or you can leave us a voicemail. I'm going to give the number again. I already scrolled past it. Uh, I scrolled past it the other way. 805-500-METS. That's 805-500-6387. And Eric Simon will have to listen to your rant, <laughs> which I'm okay with because it's not me. Yeah. Got a couple more things before we wrap things up for episode 169. It's an IFK Gothenburg update, Greg. No. Tobias Heisen is returning to the Gamelou Levy after a few years at Sven Goran Eriksson's Shanghai SIPG. 33 year old striker former club hero and son of Glenn Heisen, who any scousers in the audience likely remember, has rejoined IFK, going to play next to Gustav Engel. He's a clinical finisher during his previous stint in the Elsvenskin. He was a better than one in three striker, but he is a 33 now. <laughs> so, hey, see how that goes. You know, he, he cashed in He's cagey. He's ca- yeah, he did. He's coming back. He's cagey. Yeah, come back. He's wild, savvy, savvy striker. He also play out on the wing. Maybe sort of serve in a poacher role. I don't know. Yeah, get some garbage goals. And as we have been doing, Craig Karam, what's your pop culture recommendation to cover the next three and a half weeks before uh, spring training starts? Oh, jeez. We do this every and- week. You know, you said you had weeks worth of material prepared. <laughs> I'm very disappointed. You have anything right off the cuff? Right off the cuff. Okay, uh, on, on Netflix again. There is a Netflix, I think it's a Netflix original series, and it's called Happy Valley. It has nothing to do with uh, Penn State. It keeps showing up in my recommendations, and I keep not watching it. It's, it's you know, it's a British uh, sure. cop thing. It's intense. Um, it's not necessarily the, uh, a feel-good uh, story, but um, it's intense, and it will grip you, and it's only like five episodes. So sure, it's, it's British. It's, yeah. I have actually myself been watching I, as I become sort of more like my, you know, like the couples that start looking like each other. My wife and I just start acting like each other. So I've been watching a lot of bad procedurals in the background while I do work. Oh, boy. Mostly like European co-productions or Canadian shows. Um, I think my favorite of them, my Welsh isn't very great. I think it's Eagle. It's also known as Hinterland on the regular old BBC. Um, they, the cool thing about it is they film entire... They filmed the entire episode both in Welsh and regular English. Okay. They do two, basically two takes of every scene. Uh, and the English first season is on Netflix. And first season is like three like feature-length episodes, essentially. Uh, it's that kind of thing. Wait, wait. Clear this up for me, and I'm going to reveal some ignorance here. Mm-hmm. You said they do it in Welsh? Yes. And in English? Yes. It, uh, well- two very different languages. <laughs> Okay. Where, wait, okay. It's filmed in Wales, where right, they speak which, Welsh. Interesting. It was like a BBC Wales production. 
So like like Gareth Bale is from Wales, right? Yes. So Aaron Ramsey. He speaks Welsh. I don't know if he actually speaks Welsh. It's kind of a dead language. Like one of the actors was saying he hadn't like spoken. He's from Wales, but hadn't spoke Welsh since he was like a teenager. Okay. I, this is I'm revealing my ignorance here. I think they probably get like a special grant too from the government because it's in Welsh. Um, but I will describe it as the Welsh Wallander, but more bleak than Wallander. Uh, and it's sort of like it's halfway between like Broadchurch and Wallander. It's like sort of like the scenery porn of Broadchurch with the super depressive lead detective of Wallander. I never saw Wallander, but I did see Broadchurch. Wallander, hey, Wallander is also on Netflix, both the uh, Swedish and the Branagh, both of which are good. Mm. Some other stuff I've been watching recently that I can't quite as heartily recommend. I'm watching Crossing Lines. The first season was on NBC. They did two more as like an international co-production. Um, it's bad, but like entertainingly bad. Like Donald Sutherland is like slumming it, and uh, William Fitchner's in the first couple seasons, and then like... Uh, Elizabeth Mitchell from Lost and uh, Gorn Vizinic from ER and other stuff shows up in the third season. And it's just like, it's like the most bafflingly ludicrous show out there. They work for like the International Criminal Court in The Hague and crossing lines, like crimes that cross country lines in the EU. Uh, Network TV is, is... But they seem to be able to travel like within Europe, like... It'd be like grabbing the subway between like the Bronx and Manhattan. There, they're that fast. <laughs> they have high speed rail there. I know it's very uh, efficient public transportation, and they have like private jets and stuff. It always seems a little odd to me how quickly they can travel from like the mm. Croatian coast <laughs> to like the Netherlands. You're a rail man. Yeah. Uh, the Transporter TV series. I've also been watching. Really? Yeah. Maybe just stick with season one though. It's like the most like low rent like James Bond knockoff possible, but it's again it's sort of like entertainingly bad to me. And speaking of just really scraping the bottom of the barrel here, this is on Hulu. It's called Endgame, which features an Irish Canadian playing an agoraphobic Russian chess champion that solves crimes. Wow! I can't do any more justice to it than that. We still have some weeks of the off season to go. You got to pace yourself. Yeah, you, you shouldn't actually watch up. any of them. I'm just telling you what else I've been watching. Stick uh, with Eagle, which is actually pretty good, but very bleak. That about wraps it up mm-hmm. for Mason Avenue Audio, episode 169. Anything else, Greg? Anything coming up with the prospect list? Done. Take a nap. I am. I'm done. I'm going in hibernation for a while. That was. I, I mean, look. That was. 13, 14 posts, uh, you know, 25 write-ups. If you you wanted content from me, you got it. There you go. You get what you get for the year. (laughs) Yeah. We got to get into uh, position-by-position previews soon. Mm, Yeah. Our next podcast is going to be February. That's good. Less than two months until opening day. When does your Mets list drop? Uh, it's one of the last lists to go up, so probably end of February. End of February? Yeah. It's a long time. It is. We're doing like two a week. We're doing it in the reverse order of last season's org rankings. So the Mets were like top five, so they're one of the last ones to go up. I mean, it's it's... I don't know how much it'll look like my personal posted list of the site. It'll probably be in the general vicinity, though. 
But I have to do the Rockies list before that, which is mostly done. i got to watch a couple more guys that I haven't, you know, seen through Asheville and New Britain the last couple of years. That's going to be May 31st for friggin' Yard Goats home games. I'm not happy. They do a lot of driving in April now. Yeah, that's, um, they didn't think that one through. Well, I mean, it sounds like Columbia's me ready for opening day, and they broke de- broke ground about the same time. I know the winter weather is a little bit different in terms of uh, construction mm. hours, but... Mild winter. It has been. There's really no excuse. Yeah. Get the usual northeast construction cost overruns, though, that I can only allude to on the podcast. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's about it. We'll be seeing some amateur stuff in March. Hopefully once high school baseball starts up around here. There's a lot of interesting high school arms, actually, in Connecticut. That's interesting. That'll be it is interesting. Year, right? That will be a little bit new. Yeah, I've seen some... I've seen a few showcase stuff, but you know. In terms of, like, going to a high school, a high like, school CIAC man. baseball game to see one dude and then to see a bunch of dudes, like, throwing 70 <laughs> out of the pen on the other team that'll be fun be exciting yeah yeah get some good stuff out of that and usually by the end of march you start to get you know uconn and university of hartford some of the local colleges start up and i think uconn's friday night starter will go in the first couple rounds so we're sort of right in the met sweet spot so i'll uh see a little bit of them i do have i do lose a weekend to have to go to a wedding in new orleans for my sister-in-law so People still getting married, man. People are still getting married. This one's in New Orleans, though, and I don't have any other responsibilities other than to be in New Orleans for four days. That's actually pretty cool. If you're gonna do, if you're gonna have to, you know, vacate a weekend for a yeah. wedding, you might as well have it someplace be, uh, fun, such as in LA uh, for a Mets playoff game. Such as, yeah. I'm a little upset they didn't push it back a couple weeks, so I couldn't catch some AAA games while I was down there, maybe, but. It's the way it goes. Yeah. And I may or may not be going to minor league spring training. Well, spring training, but after the minor league games start up. I'm still on the fence about that, too. I have thought about that. The flights aren't bad. They're not awful. I have I have a... My, my wife's grandmother has a place in uh, Palm Beach, so... Yeah, I can um, theoretically stay in Daytona, too, which is a little bit longer drive, but I can yeah. see different camps while I'm down there, too, so... Can make it work. I'll be seeing a lot of Binghamton in April now, probably, because I was already planning on seeing them against New Hampshire at the end of the month, but now I may take a a drive up to Binghamton as well, because it's the second closest affiliate to me, as long as Hartford's not running. I guess Trenton's technically closer, but I just don't want to drive to Trenton. Yeah. Binghamton usually gets more of the, the Western teams in the Eastern League up there, so... Yeah, I might want to wait a few weeks before going up there. I was actually looking at like the, one of the early weekends. I could do Lakewood too. I think Lakewood's playing Greensboro or Greenville at the end of the month. I might check that out. Oh, you better pack your thermals. Yeah, it's, whatever. I'm used to it. Couldn't it be colder than New Hampshire was last year in the middle last of year. April. That, that was sounded, brutal. That sounded bad. Maybe it'll be a mild spring. We'll see. You have all that stuff to look forward to, position previews, and 2016 Mets baseball. They're good, maybe. Better, they're probably okay. If they're not, it'll still get plenty of material out of it for future editions of Amazing 
Avenue Audio.